Hello, we at Grace Covenant Church in Gunnison, Colorado are grateful and humbled that we get to be part of your sanctification today. We invite you to review our sermons online, but also stress the importance of being joined to a biblical local church, the life of the church, and the spiritual gifts God has given us to express in the church. Our website is www.gracegunnison.com. There you can find sermons and other resources as well as our location and service times. The members of Grace Covenant Church Gunnison pray that the following messages will be a blessing to you. Well, welcome again this morning. I'm so honored to get to open the word with each of you this morning as we hear from him, from his word. We have been going to the Gospel of Matthew and we're now in chapter 8 and we're to the end of chapter 8 this morning. So if you'll turn chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, there's a few scattered around. And if you don't have a Bible at home, consider that our gift. And you can take that with you. Previously, to refresh where we've been, we witnessed Jesus' dominion over bodily diseases, over the natural world, the the wind and the sea. You remember he said, just be still. And now we see Jesus' dominion over the supernatural world. Next week, over spiritual disease, over sin. Matthew's pattern to remind you of how Matthew has, has organized his discourse here. We've seen three miracles, starting in chapter 8. We've seen two, three miracles And then we've seen a teaching on discipleship. And then we have three more miracles. And then a teaching on discipleship. And then three more. He has it in a Hebrew chiastic form when we look at Hebrew poetry. As we see, as Matthew, the Gospel writer, has clearly shown us that all principalities and all powers are seen to be in subjection to Jesus. Nothing is outside of His realm. And even his ministry on earth, that his ministry on earth, so this is what theologians call his his humiliation, his time out of heaven and condescending to mankind, we see all of this authority that he has over everything. So it speaks of kingship, right? Those who someone who rules and sovereignty, how all is in subjection to him. In summary, Jesus is showing us that he has power over heaven and earth and also over the unseen, over spiritual forces. He has power over the spiritual world and and hell itself. So let us read in the text this morning, if you will read along in your copy of God's Word. Starting in verse 28 of chapter 8, hear the word of the Lord. When he, Christ, came to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes. Two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. And the demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. 
And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. And the herdsmen ran away. And they went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw Him, they implored Him to leave their region. Thus ends the reading of the Word. Let's go to the Lord once again. Father, I pray for Your illumination upon Your Holy Word. I pray for the Spirit's work to apply it to our hearts and to give us direction more unto who You are and to who we are in You. It's in the name of Christ that we come to You and for His glory. Amen. As we see from this text, the title of our message is Breaking Chains of the Powers of Darkness. We see here in this text a deep and mysterious passage to us. If you think of, of what's being said here, these, these forces of darkness, these unseen forces, casting out of demons. Now it's not something that most of us are experts in, hopefully, thankfully, but we're not even comfortable with some of this. The idea of possession of, of a soul by demonic forces. These are things that maybe are outside of our preview, of our purview, but Scripture, the truth of Scripture is important to each of us. And all Scripture is profitable. So we must see what the Lord is trying to show us here. And I want us to see in four parts to this passage. For those of you that are taking notes, and we do have a section for note-taking here, I want us to see first the divine mission, and then the demonic encounter. Thirdly, the deliverance from evil powers. And fourthly, the decry of the inhabitants of this land. So first we see the divine mission here. Here Jesus comes to the region of the Gadarenes and He's on a mission, right? But this is in the context of a much broader mission. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost. He came for the redemption of the souls of men and women. When we think about His divine mission, Christ, God determined, God decided before time that He would redeem a people for His glory. That He would redeem a people of fallen mankind. And that God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, the triune God, planned to redeem men's souls from the curse of sin. To come and to redeem this physical earth one day in His second coming. To redeem our physical bodies one day at His second coming. But here at the first coming, He came to reclaim, to redeem souls. When we think about this, plan of redemption. He came to redeem mankind, His people, so that we would dwell with Him. We would actually dwell with Him on this earth one day in the new heavens and new earth. An earth that has no sign of sin and no sinners. You know, we can't even imagine that. But this is where things are progressing. This is where the Bible is taking us. When we think about redemption, God had planned before the beginning of time to send His Son 
And the son said, I will go. And he would condescend, leave the throne room of heaven and come down, the anointed one, the Messiah, to accomplish redemption through his life, his perfect obedience, through his death, the death that would take on our sins, you and my sins. And as well, the Holy Spirit is much involved. The Holy Spirit is applying the truth of Scripture to the souls of men. Making the souls of men come alive. This plan, that was the Father's plan, the plan of redemption. So Jesus' earthly ministry, what we're seeing here in the Gospel, is we're seeing that Jesus is the Messiah. He is proving and testifying to that He is the Lord Himself, that He is God in the flesh, that He is God with us, Emmanuel, come. All of Matthew's book this far is telling us that, is proving these facts that God the Son, Jesus Christ, is here. Jesus shows that He's come for His elect. We see in this passage that He's not only come for the Jews, but he's come to an area that is not Jewish. He comes into what is called the Gadarenes, the area of the Gadarenes. So Jesus is on a mission, remember, and he has purposely brought his disciples. Remember, they got on a boat. So they left Capernaum, get on a boat. He, he calls them to this mission. During the boat ride, if you will, a tremendous thing happens, right? The disciples say, We're, we're dying. We're going to perish. Lord, save us. Because they're on the boat with Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He says, why do you have so little faith? Ye have little faith. Why do you fear? And he rebuked the disciples. And then he told the wind and the sea to be still. And it obeyed. Here we see this miracle of control and authority over all nature. And so now he's come on this divine... See, he had a divine appointment. He wasn't just wandering through the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, to go to just some unproclaimed place. He had a mission to go to. And we see why. Because we see next, we see this encounter, this demonic, this demonic encounter. You see, he had gone, Jesus had gone over there to encounter these men. He knew exactly what was happening. And as soon as they get off the boat, so they come to the country of what's called the Gadarene. So, um, now, if you look at the Gospel of Mark and Luke, he will say the, the, the region of the Gerasenes. Okay, now if you're a critical scholar and you're of modernity and you're trying to disprove the Bible, you'll say, well, look here, look here, here's the proof. The Bible's not true, right? Well, no. They don't know what they're talking about. So the region of the Gadarenes was in a similar area of Gerasa. So you have Gadara and Gerasa. Both of these are towns or cities in what's called the Decapolis. So these are ten Deca. You have ten Gentile towns that are in an area. That, so if you have the, the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum would be here. And then you come around on the, the east and the south side and you get to the land on the other side of the Jordan. And if, if you remember the tribe of Gad of Israel, they didn't they, they came to this land and they said, well, this is fine here. We don't need to cross the Jordan. Of course, you remember God, God, God says, well, that's fine, you can have that, but you will cross and you will defeat the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. So Gad, Gadarenes, you know, is a, 
You, at one time, was the tribe of Gad. Well, now it had become predominantly a Gentile area. Um, when we were there in the Sea of Galilee, most of all of the Sea of Galilee was more beachheads, uh, uh, lakefront. But on the eastern and south side, it was high bluffs. And that's important for our story because we see where the swines do. They didn't just go off the beach, but they catapulted off a cliff. So that is a little background on where this area is. Now, here come these demons, or actually these two men that are possessed by demons, the Bible says. And Mark says, the gospel writer of Mark, he says they immediately come and confront Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? And put yourself in the picture. Just hearing these disciples, they're probably still scared to death in the storm. Now they're more scared because the storm was quieted by a man that said, be still. And then they get off the boat and here come these wild looking <coughs> naked men screaming out of the tears. I mean, they're like, what in the world? It must have been exciting to follow Jesus. It, it is exciting to follow Jesus. But here are these disciples. So now we're not totally talking what the disciples are saying, but I'm kind of thinking they probably got one hand on the boat and they're you know, Jesus is out there, and they're like, let's, let's, let's see what happens here. I don't know, the Bible doesn't say, but Mark tells us that these men, these possessed men were violent. They were bloody. I mean, they were wild men that lived in the tombs. So there are these caves that are in the mountainside where people are buried, and these possessed men are living amongst them. So, Imagine, I mean, these are, Mark says they're out of control, they're frightening, that the, the, the town had tried to bind them with chains, but they broke the shackles. So this, these men have some supernatural strength, they can't even be chained. And the Bible says that they scream at all hours of the night, day and night, living among the tombs, that they cut themselves with stones, self-destructive. So, when we hear about in our school system or we hear about young people and adolescents cutting themselves, this is not a new phenomenon. The self-destructive mentality of how these men are, are possessed by something else. Demons, when we think about demons, I, we don't have a book in the Bible that says this is everything about demons. In fact, much of the Old Testament doesn't talk too much about demons until the ministry of Jesus. But demons are powers of spiritual darkness, um, fallen angels. So those who are in Satan's army, evil spirits that try to enter humanity, who prey on God's pinnacle of creation, that is you, those made in the image of God. He, they prey upon men trying to distort and destroy the image of God and God's image bearers. And Jesus purposely goes to where they are. Notice he doesn't go to the, the easy place. He goes over there to the, the unclean place, right? The tombs, and to a Jew, the tombs were unclean area. So it was only, I mean, lepers could stay there and, you know, those crazy demon-possessed men. Gentile area, Jesus goes into them. So he, he, he goes to the worst of the worst. Like, couldn't you pick a better place, Jesus? I'm sure the disciples were thinking, you know, there's some friendlies over here. No, this is where we're going. And they come to this unclean place, these, these outcasts. Do you know Jesus comes to the outcasts? He comes to the hopeless and the helpless. He comes to the sinners. 
the demon possession of these men, when we see their actions, speak of the malice of demons, of spiritual darkness, the malice that they want to come after and tear down to kill, steal, and destroy, much like who they follow, Satan. And so look at the first who come. So they come and they come before Jesus. Look at their confession. Look at their testimony. They start off, what business do you have with us? I mean, you can hear their, their disdain. What business do you have with us, Son of God? Now, in one of the other gospel writers, it says, Son of the Most High God. They're not coming to Jesus thinking, who are you? They knew. They knew exactly who this was. Now, I want to refresh your memory. Go back to verse 27, the last verse from last week. And when Jesus stilled the storm, the disciples were more frightened because they stood in the presence of God. And they said, who is this man? They said, what kind of man is this? That was their question. Now, it might have been a few minutes later, and they get to the dock, they get to the, or the, the land, and these demon-possessed men say, Son of God, Son of the Most High God. Whew. The supernatural beings knew Him. Now, this is a messianic title. Do you remember Jesus said, The Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Another messianic title. Now the demons say, Son of God. The Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. They knew Jesus to be Him. They knew He was God in the flesh. That He was the divine Son of God. They believed that Jesus was the Christ. Now, they believed He was the Christ, but they weren't going to submit to Christ. But they believed. They knew. In fact, even you know, what does James say? Even the demons believe in Jesus. They knew he was God. And they wouldn't submit to his authority. You see, demons, these demons, these dark forces, know more Christology or the doctrine of Christ than the masses during that time and today. They had, even, even just think, of all, think of all the cults in history. The demons knew more than them. The cults who say that Jesus is not God, that he's not of divinity, they're all over. I mean, I, I, I've talked to some in my neighborhood. You, the, and you have others, you have the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, and you have, you have numerous cults. We have a, a group that's around here called the Two by Two, and they don't, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They say he was a good man. Well, a good man is not going to be able to save you. But God can the demons believe, yet they disdain Christ. They hate Him and they will not submit to His rule and His law. But they do know who He is. And notice they want nothing to do with Him. What have you to do with us? That, that's, that's not very inviting. Basically, they're, and they're screaming this. They're, they're yelling this. They're not coming in a nice tone of voice. But they are yelling at the Messiah. They're in rebellion against Him. They're opposed to Him. Now they probably thought if we yell and scream... He'll do like other people and get away from us. Nobody wanted anything to do with these guys. But we see that Jesus doesn't do this. And we also know a very important thing. And their next statement is going to tell us they knew 
that their doom was sure. Look at what they say next. Have you come to torment us before the time? They, they knew. I mean, here they are basically saying, have you come for the judgment? Have you come early? Have you come to punish us and to send us into the abyss? Send us out to where the, de- where the devil and his angels will be sent to this punishment. So they not only knew Jesus, but they, they knew proper eschatology, the doctrine of end times. They knew that they were the ones spoken of. There again, they knew much more of the masses in our day or the masses in the day here. They were very aware of the judgment and of Christ's return during that judgment where Christ will reward the ones He saves and He will punish those in rebellion. And not just for a time, but for all time, for eternity. And then we see the deliverance. We see this deliverance from the evil supernatural powers. We see the power of the Son of God over demons. In fact, the demons knew it. They say, if you're going to cast us out, or really, I think it could be said, since you're going to cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs over there. Now, we're not told why they wanted to go into those pigs, but we could surmise a little bit. We, they knew Jesus' power. And they knew He came to save. And if He came to save, He came to deliver from the forces of darkness. So when Jesus came in their midst, He knew they were going to be sent out of the souls of these men because that's what Jesus came to do. But maybe they wanted to postpone their coming final destruction. Maybe they wanted to continue harm and destruction somewhere else because they knew they were going out. I mean, it was, Jesus is here. <laughs> Son of God is here. This is the end of us. And then we see Jesus delivers the souls of these men. Do you notice? He says, go. They said, let us go away to these pigs. And he said, go. One little word. One simple command. The power in his word. Go. And I believe within that same command of go, telling the demons to go, it is a come to the souls of those men that are ridden with with the demons. Come to me. Go out of them and come. Come. And we, we... when he, when, we says, when he says to a soul to come, where we're told later that these men later are seated in front of Jesus, clothed and in their right mind. They have come. They've come to the Savior. We, ask, we must ask, you know, who are these men? Is this just two men that, in all of history that had this spirit within them? Well, If we knew them today, if we had seen them today in in our area, what what would society say of these men? What what would they be deemed? What would they be deemed? How would they be approached? Well, I believe they would be approached the same way. They would be put away. Get, Get over there and don't get around them. Just put them over there. Maybe they would have said something like this. Well, they have a chemical imbalance. There's brain shortages that are not firing right, and so that is why they're 
behaving such. Or maybe mental health problems. We hear that cry a lot. I want you to know that spiritual problems, spiritual sin is behind much of what is said of other things such as problems in the brain or mental issues. This is the cry today. In fact, they say what we need is more mental health and then everything will be fine if we just had more mental health. Really? I don't think that's the solution that Jesus is talking about. Or maybe the society would have said, well, it was just their environment. You know, they didn't, have, they didn't grow up in the right environment, didn't have the right education. They, they, didn't, they had settings in life that just took them in that direction. It's not their fault. It's not them. They just, just the way that, that they were raised, right? Or maybe mentally ill, they might use a catchword today. Things that we, we don't know what's wrong with them, so maybe they're bipolar. Maybe that's it. And so if we just had the right drug, right? If we just had the right pharmacia, then we could fix this issue and it would be all fine, right? Now I'm not saying that we don't need doctors. And don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's, there's problems that need help from a medical standpoint, but I want you to know that spiritual issues are at the heart of so many of these things. So many of these things. Maybe, maybe they decided that, well, there are people that just don't identify like us. And so, this people, they identify as, as X or Y or, or Z. And if, if we just had called the, by the pronoun if they wanted to, then everything would be fine. You know, if we just got that taken care of, right? This is society's answer, right? This is what we hear. Now, to the, to the latter group, the, the one I just mentioned, Society, we celebrate those folks, right? We parade them around, and, and this is, you know, we want to highlight this. But to the, the groups I stated before, the mental problems, the imbalances, society puts them out. We ostracize, we put them away. As long as I don't have to see them, just get them away, right? When we think about our prison system, it's good at that. In fact, our government is, should not be in the business of reforming. Okay, government is there to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. They are, they are uh, ordained by God to wield the sword. It's a punishment. There's a deterrent. I don't want to do these things that are against the law because there is a heavy deterrent. Uh, not that I'm going to be sent to a country club prison, but it's going to be a bad time. Maybe lose my life if I commit such and such crime. But in today's world, there is, we've, we've missed that and we've gone to some idea that we can reform them. No, these demon-possessed men did not need to be reformed. We didn't need to bring them in and fix their actions. They need to be regenerated. They need the Spirit of God to touch their soul. They need to be delivered by the Spirit of God. Rid of the demonic forces that were wreaking havoc upon their life. That's what they needed. That is very important. They needed to be born again. You see, the truth of God's word, when we look at the totality of scripture, says that people are controlled, those, those outside of Christ, are controlled by demonic forces many times. Many times. And we know that this is a sin-cursed world. That the things that are happening around us and the even the way that Christians can act, because we are still sinners saved by grace, look, can look back to sin 
And see, this is the cause of why there's dissension among you. This is the cause of why there's problems in families. This is, sin is the issue. And so, mankind, as well as these men here, desperately need Christ's deliverance. They needed, like I said it before, regeneration. They needed to be born again. They needed the, the change of these demonic forces to be broken by a spirit greater than them. They needed the powers of darkness to be driven out by the light of the Messiah. God's light. That is Christ's light. That's what they needed. They needed the word of God to be spoken to them. And so within this beautiful section of text, we see a living illustration and a demonstration of Jesus' power of divine deliverance to rid us of the forces of evil and to bring in new life. Luke says that when the people came out to see these men who had been formerly possessed by demons, that they were sitting down at the feet of Jesus, not screaming, but sitting down at His feet, clothed in their right mind. You see, deliverance was seen visibly Transformation, visibly seen, chains broken, internal spiritual chains broken, salvation of a sin-cursed soul. Jesus, not only does He illustrate the transformation, but He illustrates the reality of supernatural demonic activity. And what I mean by that, He could have sent them off into the abyss somewhere. But He sent them off into this herd of swine this herd of pigs. So there was no mistaking. Here we have this herd calmly grazing. And all of a sudden when Jesus says go. They become these psychotic kamikaze hogs. Right? Run to their death. And the herdsmen were like what is going on? There was no. They probably tried to explain it away. But they knew exactly what had happened. They knew that these men who were crazy lunatics are there sitting at Jesus' feet and the peaceful hogs have just killed themselves. Destroyed themselves. Jesus, His mission is to come and seek and save the lost. The demons were there to do evil and harm. And we see the harm that they did to the swine they wanted to do to these these men. They wanted to destroy them too. Notice that when Jesus comes the first time, when He came the first time, He didn't come to destroy demons. That wasn't His primary mission. Now one day, that will be taken care of when He comes the second time. But it wasn't for that first time. It's important for us to to know that. That when I hear people, and they'll ask me, why doesn't Jesus stop all evil in the world? You know, he came the first time. Why didn't he stop all evil in the world? Well, he will. And he is. Just not yet. And then I'll follow up and I'll say, well, so, so you, want, you want him to deal with evil, right? Yes, yes, I do. So you want him to, to deal with all those, those mass murderers and those people that slaughter innocent people. Yeah, yeah, do away with them. Yeah, and, and, and those rapists, do away with them too, right? Yeah, yeah, do away with them too. And, and those people that... that Sleep around with their girlfriends with people they're not married to. Well, um, I didn't know about that. And, and all those liars, too, the people that, that, that fudge on the truth. 
Take them out too, right? Well, you know, we don't need to be quiet. So, so there's certain, so you've got a, a standard that's your standard that you're judging what is evil by. And so then I say, you know, God came to save sinners. And He's giving you time now to repent because He should stomp you out for the way you thought last night in your sleep, for the lie you told yesterday and the thousands before that in your sinful way of life. But He is long-suffering and patient and giving you time to come to the Savior. If you will repent of your sins and believe upon Christ, you'll be saved. And He will deal with evil. And He should have dealt with all of us. But He's merciful. And so Jesus did not come right at this time to rid the world of evil, but to preach the good news of salvation. And you know, He sends us out to do the same. He he doesn't send you out to go take care of all evil. He sends you out to preach the gospel. And then He saves those through the word that you preach. He saves and delivers them. Delivers them from these forces of evil. Now, this is so important to understand about His first coming and His second coming. Because many in reform circles have, have missed this. And some have wandered from Scripture in certain aspects of this. Certain people that have pursued things such as Christian Reconstructionism. Maybe you've never heard of that. Or theonomy. These are things that have been re-emerging here of late. And, and I'm reluctant to bring them up. Because some of you have said, well, I don't even know what that means. I've never heard of that. And bless you if you haven't. But this re-emerging popularity has, has, has come around in some reform circles of late. And theonomy, theonomist. So a theonomist promotes a hypothetical form of government in which society is ruled by God's divine law. You say, well, that sounds good. Yeah, but continue on. They particularly think that the judicial law of the Old Testament should be in effect now, here, in, in all countries. This is what they're promoting. And particularly the, the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant judicial law for civil government and the penalties that are in the, the Old Testament Bible should be enforced now. Now, this is a misguided thinking, okay? This is an unbiblical hermeneutic or, or interpretation of Scripture. It is fueled by an understanding that somehow this will bring into fruition Christ's kingdom. If we put Christ's law or God's law in now, that somehow the kingdom will come and they, they think somehow that Christ will return because of this. It's, I know it's confusing. It's, it's, it doesn't work itself out. But this has been propagated quite a bit here of late, if you are on the internet or things like that. Um, but scripture, the scripture passage before us is a rebuttal of the, the theonomous idea of the Christian Reconstruction idea. Um, men of our day have been, have been pushing this, such as, I'll name a few, Gary North, uh, Joel McDermott, uh, Doug Wilson, and they're proposing this, and it's, 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 it's dangerous. And I say that just to warn you of these things that are about. It's not our job to seek to eradicate all evil. Now we want to put Christians in office. We want to put people that are that know the Lord in office. Yes, and we want to see our country 
come to know the Lord. But it's through the preaching of the gospel. It's not through the law that's going to bring that to fruition. And so we are commanded and told to proclaim the gospel, to be a witness for Christ, to and pray that God would deliver others and save souls for His glory. But to seek perfection in this age, to seek some sort of utopia in this age, is misguided thinking. Now that is a valid hope of when things are as they should be. But that will happen when Christ comes. And the problem is some people have taken it, to, well, this is taken it upon themselves to do what Christ is going to do. He's going to do that. We, we want that to happen. And glory to God when it does. Lord, come quickly. But to seek some of these other theologies, to follow them, is to take away from Christ, which is His task to do. So I just say that for you to be aware of some misguided theology, okay? I don't want to dwell on that, but we need to be weary of, of modernism, liberalism. You know, the Bible's not all the way true. We need to be aware of that. And then the other side, there's reform circles, more on the um, uh, uh, intellectual teachers who will steer you away from the true gospel mission of Jesus Christ. You see, we are to be Christ followers, right? Disciples, Christ followers, we are not to be Christ supplanters. Leave Christ's work to Christ. Let's just preach this message. Let's, Let's tell others. But enough of that. Let's continue on with this text. The Lord will one day deal with all evil, but not yet. Here, next, fourthly, we come, lastly, to the the, the cry of the inhabitants. Here we see panic in the people. Why are they panicked? I think they're panicked for the same reason the disciples were panicked on the boat. They've just seen an amazing miracle. I mean, they have seen this magnificent picture of salvation transformation right before their eyes, like... I can't attribute that to anything. Look at those men. I mean, did they take some sort of pill? Did they get the right counseling? No. They were touched by Jesus Christ. They had been regenerated in their souls. And we see this amazing transformation of these formerly crazed men. You'd think, I mean, we would think, I would think, that this would be like the start of some great awakening, right? I mean, the people would come and just fall down before the Lord and we believe. Right? Wouldn't you think that? But we've already read that's not what happens. I mean, here we have irrefutable evidence. Jesus is the Son of God. is God Himself. He has just delivered these men and saved them. What about you if you were there in that time? Would you have believed? Do you believe? See, the nature of sin is to reject the truth. We can see it right in front of us, clear as day. And we say, no, I won't believe. The nature of sin is to be blind and to hate the truth. You see, the presence of miracles is not going to bring a sinner to faith. Okay? It'll it'll prove that Jesus is God, but in order for a sinner to come to faith, it is the power of God and the Spirit of God that must come and open the heart of a sinner, or you won't come. He must draw us by the cords of His love. It is the power of God. One would think 
that these townspeople would rush to him and say, thank you, Lord. Will we glorify you, Lord? But they don't. Romans 1, they neither thanked God nor glorified God. No, they didn't. In fact, they do the very opposite. They, I mean, they, you, you think they say, stay longer, Lord. There's more to heal. Tell us more. But what do they say? They say, leave. Get out of here. Be gone. That's what they said. Get away from us, they cry. They knew that they stood in the presence of holiness. And they were shooken to the core. They trembled. And instead of saying, and falling at the feet of Jesus like those men, they say, leave. You see, they would rather have a maniac in their midst, two of them, than the Son of God. I believe they, they would rather have it like it was before. Just, can, can we just go back the way it was before? Can you not have come here on your boat? We liked things like they were. It was comfortable to us. We knew where those, those, those outcasts were, and they were over there. But no, they would rather have the presence of demons than the presence of the divine deliverer. Here he is in their midst. Oh, they were comfortable. They were more comfortable with the crazy, violent, naked, screaming men out there than they were with Jesus Christ. It's dumbfounded to us, is it not? To, to us as believers. But what about you? What would your response have been? Well, what would your response have been while you were still in your sins if you had been in this region? I think of what if this happened in Gunnison? I am very sure, because I know the climate here, that he would receive a very similar response. I believe he would have received a more violent response here in Gunnison. That there would be a screaming, wrathful leave. A violent opposition. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Well, we went and preached at the farmer's market in June last year and received violent opposition to the name of Jesus Christ, to the one who could deliver them. And they said, leave, get out. Tried to have us arrested, right in our face, ripped out a cord out of my friends who had a small mic, and violent oppression, violent opposition. But when we think about God's grace, we see the opposition, but when I think about even in our midst here, in this room, of just a small group gathered here, that there is proof of deliverance from demonic activity even here amongst us. There is proof of salvation that we can look and see the transformation of souls from the power of Satan. And there's one right before you standing. There's one next to you that could testify to the same transformative work in the power of Jesus Christ. Some here still need to come to Jesus. Still need to believe upon the only deliverer, the only Savior for your soul. When the Lord Jesus and His Word is presented, it's either loved or it's hated. No one sits on the fence when they hear the Word of God. This narrative ends with a wonderful finale. 
and I don't want to miss this, but I, I had to pick up from one of the other gospel writers. But I want you to see how this man possessed became a missionary. In, in Mark and Luke, he, they, he tells us about how this man delivered. So he's sitting there at the feet of Jesus, wanting to be a disciple, but not only a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus, a follower of the Savior. He basically says, I want to go with you, Jesus. Jesus gets on the boat. He says, I'm coming to you. I'm following you. Right? And he wants to accompany him. I mean, the townspeople, they wanted Jesus to leave. The, the demons that were in the man, they wanted to stay in the region. The, the man who was a demoniac previously, he wanted to go with Jesus. He, I mean, can you blame him? I mean, he saved him. Jesus saved him, but... I don't want to stay with these people, these ungrateful, God-hating people. Take me with you. Jesus says, stay. You know what he says? He says, he sends him away, and he says, go home to your people and report what great things the Lord Jesus has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Mark 5, 19. And it says about this man, so he went proclaiming throughout the city what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Oh. I mean, the people in the town wanted him to leave, depart. And he did. Jesus left. But the grace of God to leave someone in the area, to continue to proclaim the gospel even after he'd gone, I mean, he has left you, whether you be in Gunnison or whether you be in Denver, as a witness to proclaim the message to those in darkness. I want to go with you, Jesus. No, he's put you where he's put you to proclaim and testify. Now, this man had just been saved. He was a demoniac a few minutes before. And we might say, well, he had no training. I mean, he had not taken the evangelism course. He had no seminary training. If you've been saved, you know enough. Go testify to what God has done in your life. Proclaim. Testify. Witness. That's what this man did. And I tell you that all Christians are to be about the same business. You and I, if you are saved, are to be about this. To go and do likewise. To testify. Proclaim. To herald. Remember from where you came from. If you've been a, a, a Christian a long time, remember back to who you were and go and testify and proclaim and tell others what great things God has done. How He has saved a wretch like me and a wretch like you. If we don't go testify, if we don't go proclaim, what ungrateful servants are we? I mean, to say I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and just can't wait for that day and silence everyone else, that's ungratefulness. Tell others. Now, it's God's work whether He'll save them or not, but go tell them. Go tell them. And listen, others will be amazed. They will listen to you. They might respond, they might not. That's not your prerogative. But go and tell others what the Lord has done. You see, you are on a mission. You are to be Jesus followers on His mission, to making disciples by your testimony, by, by your witness to the truth. So tell your story. 
Everyone who's saved has a story. If you, if you tell his story, tell Jesus' story, but tell yours. What Jesus has done for the glory of God. Give a detailed report. Report as the herdsmen went and report what God has took you out of and what he is doing with you now. Give glory to God for that. Tell them. Go and say, as the, as the woman at the well said, let me tell you about a man that knew everything about me. The one that delivered me. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about his word. How he delivered me from demons. He delivered me from death and hell. The power of sin. Let me tell you that story. Be a witness for Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this testimony. These men that were possessed, that you delivered from the power of Satan. Lord, we thank you for deliverance, for your grace to us, Lord. Father, give us boldness, boldness to proclaim your message, your story, to tell of what great things Jesus has done and how he had mercy on us. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, seal it upon our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.